So it's been a few weeks now, but we were in the book of Jonah, and we will continue in the book of Jonah. And we left him, when we left him off, he was not a happy camper. Jonah was actually a little bit frustrated and a little bit angry with God. And I would even think, I would even dare to say that Jonah was feeling a little bit foolish about how things have been working out and how things have been playing out, how they should go. Because, because the way he thought they should go, it didn't, quite, it didn't quite flow that way. He figured that the Ninevites are the enemies of the Lord, enemies of Israel, and they should, God should just kill them all. And, he, and God sent Jonah there to give them this message that in a, in a couple days, man, you guys are going down. But it didn't quite work out that way. Jonah misinterprets the word of God. Jonah misinterprets or misses God's plan, and it goes completely different from what he thought it should. In fact, the Ninevites, they repent, and they're saved. And we kind of wrestled with this idea of, okay, at best, at best, we are about 70% correct in our interpretation of the word of God or in God's plan. I mean, we're human and he's God. And, and, and so we don't get it right all of the time. So, so at best, we're about 70% correct. And those are like the scholars. I'd say I got like 63% at my best. So you should wrestle with the scriptures yourself and not just take what I say as scripture. All right? So... But we all wrestle and we all study and we all pray and we all meditate and we all think about the word of God and we think about God or at least I'm hoping that you're doing those things. And we, we try to interpret it the best that we can. And whatever God is showing you, whatever he is revealing to you, whatever he is leading you in, you should hold tightly to those things. Hold tightly to the things that God is convicting you of, especially in the idea of, of his word. And it's supposed to be, this is the way it is, because if you is, find yourself to be looking a little foolish. Remember, sanctification, becoming like Jesus, is a progressive thing. And so is our understanding of God. So is our theology. It's a progressive thing and it grows and it deepens and it matures at least that's that's my prayer for all of you and we ended our time together when we were talking about the story of jonah and we kind of wrestled with the idea that we don't get to decide we don't get to decide where god shows his mercy and his grace and where god shows his wrath the Lord will be merciful to those he chooses, and he will show his wrath to those he chooses. It's not our decision. It's not our choice. God's wrath is very real, and the mercy and grace of God is very real, and they coexist perfectly with each other because they are of God. And you don't get to choose. I don't get to choose. Mercy, mercy, Ooh, wrath, wrath, mercy. We need a little wrath in the back there. That's, 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 that's God's stuff, man. That's not our choice. I mean, you can, you can preach it. You can talk about the wrath of God, but you have to make sure that you tell people about repentance and grace and mercy because that's the combo platter of the gospel. 
That's what the gospel is based on, the mercy and the grace of God. See, it's God's desire that nobody should perish, not one, that all would come to a place of repentance and have eternal life with him. And then we kind of said that we're called as Jesus followers to love people and love our enemies. Do good to the people who persecute us. Pray for them. Do good and pray for the people who reject the gospel and reject Jesus. That's what we're called to do. To then share the love of God with them. So we're going to get back into chapter 4. I'm going to read the first two chapters. We're going to spend some time on chap- uh, verses. I'm sorry, we're going to read the first two verses of chapter 4. Darren, would you put that up there? I forgot my zucchini back there. Or I can just read it from here. All right, so. Chapter 4 of Jonah, verses 1 through 3. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry because the Lord had repented of destroying Nineveh. He prayed to the Lord, "Isn't this what I said, Lord, when you were still at home, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity." And in verse 3, "Now the Lord, now Lord, take away my life, when and and for it's better for me to die than it's to live when. And I could just hear this like nasally little when. I, I want to die now because, you know, things just haven't gone the way that, that I wanted them to. And, and you know, it, man, if you, if you come against the repentance or the relenting of the Lord's wrath, and if you come against um, him showing mercy to people, you come against the very heart of God. You come against who he is in his character and in his very being. He chooses, he wants... No one to perish. And if you fight or rail against that, you fight and rail against God's heart. Now for Jonah, Jonah is a prophet sent by God. Now God sends prophets for very specific reasons. Okay, He sends prophets to go to people and to tell them, Hey, listen, the way you're going, the direction that you're moving in, it's not a good one. And it's going to go really bad for you if you continue in this direction. And, he, and the prophet's job is to call people to a place of repentance. That's their job. And Jonah essentially is angry because as a prophet, he succeeded. He had the message from God. He goes to Nineveh. He tells them that he tells them this message they recognize that the message is from the lord and they repent and now they live jonah as a prophet succeeds in his job it seems that he is measuring success and thinking that it's failure and what he would like to have seen as Success is act, would actually be failure. It seems he's got it wrong, man. He's got it messed up. He's got it backwards. And I was thinking to myself, how many times have I gotten it wrong? 
How many times have I misinterpreted the way something has turned out and I thought it was success and it was failure and vice versa? I might have thought that I have failed, but it was actually a success. How many times that I have tried to plan something as a pastor or tried to prayerfully consider how am I supposed to talk to this person and it has failed miserably? I'll tell you how many times, a lot. But I wonder if I've misinterpreted success for failure, failure for success. Or, or even worse, like I know God's plan always works out. Like God has a plan and God's plan can't, can't, God's plan can only succeed. But you know, it really frustrates me sometimes that God doesn't, um, he doesn't have the courtesy to tell me what his plan actually is. It would make my life much better. Much easier if he said, oh, no, Dennis, don't, go, don't do that. I have a much better plan, and, and, and it's going to work out for the best. In fact, God's plans have worked so perfectly sometimes, it just seems like night and day from what I thought should have happened. Because as human beings, we're trained to go, okay, I'm going to plan this certain thing out, and then if it goes the way I've planned it, that equals success. And if it doesn't go the, the way I planned it, well, that must be mean something went wrong and I have failed. But that is not 100% true in all situations, especially when you add the God part into it. What if, what if we, as Jesus followers, did our best, did our best to strategize, organize and plan what if we did our best to prayerfully come before the lord even if you want to supersize your prayers with a little bit of fasting you know you, you really want this thing to work out because we kind of we think fasting supersizes everything but that's a sermon for a different day and 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 we we submit to god and then we just kind of detach ourselves not that we would uh, not execute or try our best at it, but we just kind of detach ourselves from it. We would not hold so tightly to it, working out the way that we think it should work out. And that we would begin to trust that no matter what happens, God's plan will come to fruition. Even if you don't understand it, even if it doesn't work out the way you planned, that you would come to a place of trusting that God had this all planned out before time and that his ideas, his plan will work exactly the way he planned it. I believe that if we can get a hold of that, there would be a lot more, a lot less disappointed, angry Christians in the world. But, you know, in, in, in saying that, um, the reality of it is, that's, that's a hard place to get to. That's a very mature stance, to, 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 if you can live your life like that all of the time. I think we have flashes of it here and there, but that's difficult to get to because I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life, God's plans don't make any sense to me. I don't get it. it it's, not, it's like he doesn't follow any logic or any real human reason. Or sometimes it doesn't even feel like he has a plan at all. It's like he's just rolling the dice, shooting from the hip. 
Like it's been, it feels sometimes like a, a miscalculation on his part. Or that he's dropped the ball. Or maybe even, he's not even in the game. I mean, I don't know if I'm the only one that's ever felt that way. I would think not. And then, and then he has this, you know, oh, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Yeah, come on. Give me something, God. Here's what I know and here's what I've learned. There's no easy answer for that. But this is what I know with all of my heart. That God is good all of the time. All of the time. And, and in that goodness, there's a, there's a revealed goodness. There's a goodness that we can see and touch and recognize and feel. But if he's good all of the time and certain things don't feel good to us, then there's a concealed goodness of God. That even if we don't understand it, God is always good. Even if we don't get it and it hurts and it causes us pain, God is always good good and his plan always the best plan I know that's hard for many of you that's the truth of who God is but I, I digress so Jonah he wants to die and he wants to die because he's a successful prophet and he wants to die because God is full of mercy and grace and compassion, and he should have killed all the Ninevites, and God doesn't. And then this is how God deals with Jonah. Next slide. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. Well, God doesn't answer the question of Jonah. In fact, he asks him a question. I love that about God. Answering a question by asking a question reminds me kind of, it reminds me of Jesus, right? It's almost like God and Jesus are on the same wavelength or something. Like they're, they're cut from the same, same mold. And God doesn't apparently kill him. Instead, he talks to him. And he asks him, really? Should you really be feeling this way about this whole situation? Is it right for you? And this is kind of a new development in the story because any time before this that God spoke to Jonah, it was always about Nineveh and it was always about what he should and, and had to do. But now it would seem that God is speaking directly to him. He's talking to Jonah about Jonah because from this point forward, it is Jonah that's in trouble. It's his life on the line. There's, this, there's a story in the Gospels about Jesus and he finds out one of his buds, Lazarus, he's, he's really sick. And I guess he must be really sick because they send some people to say, yo, your bud Lazarus is really sick. And Jesus is pretty just nonchalant about it. He's like, yeah, that's cool. We're going to hang out here for a few more days and, and chill out. And the boys must be going, hello, he's really sick. And so, and Jesus said, listen, this, this sickness is not going to end in death. Jesus knew the outcome. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that he would raise this man from the dead. He knew that this sickness was not going to end in death. But Jonah has a sickness. Jonah has a spiritual sickness that very well could end in death. And it's doubt and it's unbelief. Unbelief has been 
It's always been the struggle for people when it comes to Jesus and the gospel. It's always been that, that thing that, is, that has held people away, kept people away from Jesus. Unbelief in the grace and mercy of the cross. Unbelief in the compassion and the forgiveness of God. Unbelief that you even need to be forgiven in the first place. It's kept people away from Jesus. It's the struggle that John talks about in the first chapter of his gospel when it says that there's the light and the darkness, the darkness just doesn't understand it. It would seem now that God is going to battle for Jonah and for his very soul. You know, it's not a question if God can save. It's not a question if God can give life. The question falls upon Jonah. Can he believe? Can he believe and embrace and rejoice in the Lord's mercy and grace to all people? Can Jonah come to the place that Nineveh has come to? That he could believe God and repent and live. And as the story, if we just take the story up to this point, we really don't know what's going to happen. It really doesn't give us a lot of information. And just as God doesn't answer Jonah, Jonah doesn't answer God, and he leaves and he goes and he sits to the east of the city. And man, there's some good stuff in the, in the, the teachings that are coming up about this whole thing. But, but for, for now, Jonah is quick to point out all of the faults of God. God, you're merciful, you're graceful, you love people, you're slow to anger. What's wrong with you? But he's not very open to looking inside of his own heart in his own darkness and wrestling with his own faults. Now, I would have to think that Jonah wasn't the first person to ever hide their anger from God. And I would think that he's not the last person to ever do it. I bet you in our church... There are a few people that maybe through the course of their spiritual journey that have come to the point of being angry with God. You know what? Maybe sitting right here this morning, there is someone that still is angry with God. And it can come down to this whole idea of the plan. We expect God to do certain things at certain times because we obviously know better than God because we have the internet and we've researched it. And so this is the way it should play out. And then God doesn't actually work it out the way we have planned it to work out. And so we become angry. You know, I always thought that being angry at God wasn't, uh, wasn't a very good thing. I mean, it's probably not a good thing, but God's a big God and he could take it. In fact, I got into ministry by arguing with God like pounding the roof of my car, arguing, mad at him. And then he was gracious and slow to anger and loving, and then, ta-da, here we are today, you know, I don't know, 10 years later. But God is a pretty big God, and he could take it. But the problem is, too many people, when they become angry with the Lord, they just stay there or they walk away from him. And they don't try to resolve that. I mean, when you're angry with somebody that you love, family, or friend, do you, just, do you just write them off? If that were the case, there'd be 100% divorce in the United States over and over and over again. Nobody would have any friends for very long because we would get angry to forget about it. We don't, treat, we don't treat these relationships like that. Then why do we treat that relationship with God? 
Why don't we work it out? Why don't we go to him and yell? He's a big God. He could take it. Slow to anger. He's going to be like, look how cute they're yelling at me. You know, because that's God. Why do we just end up just too many people just walk away? I'm mad at God. I want nothing to do with him now. Instead of engaging and going after him and trying to work those things out. But, you know, as I was thinking this whole thing and thinking about Jonah, thinking about my life, thinking about people that I've met, I just come to, I have to ask myself a very simple question. Why doesn't God just explain himself? Just give me a reason. Let me know. Let me in the loop. Help me figure this out, God. Throw me a bone once in a while. Give me the, I mean, it seems, it seems right to me. It seems like that's a really good idea. And I think sometimes God should listen to my really good ideas. I'm a pastor. I'm not funny, I'm serious. God should listen. It's a really good idea. But then the story of Job comes to mind. You know the story of Job? God says, hey, to the devil, big mistake. Have, have you seen my boy Job? He's on it, man. Blameless. Shuns evil. That was like, yeah, that's because, you know, you're tight. You're, you know, you protect him. God says, yeah, go ahead. Have Adam. I said, what happens to Job? He's a rich guy, loses everything. Got lots of kids. All of them die. He gets physically sick. He gets these boils that he's got to scrape the pus out with these shards of... Get nice, huh? Job was a little disappointed and angry with God. And Job had a question. And the first question started with, why? Why, why is this happening to me? And then there's like, there's like 35 chapters of, of just asking why. God, why? And, and, his, and his friends come and they try to explain to him how, much, how, how bad he really is and how he deserves all this. But he's still like, why? And, and God will speak to Job. But I personally think that he could have done a better job with it. Like he could have said, hey, dude, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry this worked out this way. Or, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of you, Job. You did good. You didn't curse me and die like your wife suggested. But instead, questions after questions after questions, God doesn't answer any of them. But he asks his own questions. And he gives him this, this survey of the world. I love, let's go to the next slide, Jaron. I love the opening verse of Job. So this is after questions and questions. This is what God says to him. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Okay, just so you know, if a conversation between you and God starts off like this, be afraid, or at least be a little bit nervous. Because what he's saying here is, man up. I'm going to ask you some questions now, and if you'd like, you can answer. Oh, no. And you shall answer me. And then he goes on. Four chapters of stuff. Hey, can you make the sunrise and the sunset? Can you do that, Job? 
Can you, can you direct the lightning and tell it where to go? Do you give the horse its strength? Hey, Job, does the wild ox consent to serve you? Listen, when you can get a hold of those things, until you get a hold of those things, don't tell me how to run the world. Don't tell me how this all should go down. And when Job hears this, what's he do? He repents in ashes and dust. And it seems that his frustration and his disappointment and his anger goes away. That's all well and good. I like that story. It's a good story. I suggest, recommend reading it. But it doesn't answer the question for me. It might make me a little bit nervous about asking the why question. But the why question still lingers in my mind. I still wrestle with it. Why doesn't God just explain himself? Well, I think I came up with maybe two possibilities. Possibility number one. Because he knows that no explanation that he gives us is going to help us anyway. Now, now hear me out on this. We have the assumption that if we knew the reason behind why stuff is happening, that we would not necessarily become so disappointed or so frustrated or so angry. That maybe if we knew the reason for our suffering, then we wouldn't suffer so much or we wouldn't be so angry or disappointed or frustrated. And I'm not sure that is correct How do you explain away hurt and brokenness and loss? How do you explain away aggravation, frustration, and anger? Sometimes when I find out the reason for those things, I I become more angry and more frustrated. Knowledge knowledge is this, uh, it's passive. It's, It's intellectual. But anger... Brokenness, disappointments, loss, hurt, those are very active things, and they're very personal. And I'm just not sure that a reason or an answer can heal those things. You know, it would almost seem that God is not so excited about giving us the grand plan, the grand scheme, sharing all the reasons for everything and why everything is going the way it goes. He's not so keen on revealing everything to us, but I will tell you this. God, he reveals himself in the plan. And it's his desire, and it's his, uh, and it's part of his love and his compassion to reveal himself within the plan, within the hurt and the loss and the struggle and the disappointment and the anger. And the ultimate revelation of God is Jesus Christ sent to the earth. Not as an intellectual reason for all of the things that we experience. Jesus didn't come to take away all of the situations that cause us pain, that cause us brokenness, that anger us. At least not yet. God sent him as an active personal response to them to say, I know. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be hurt. I know what it's like to be disappointed. I know what it's like to lose. 
I know what brokenness is like. I know what it's like to not understand the plan of God. I get that. And he also came to say that it's not going to be like this forever. One day I will come back and this will all go away. And I will live with my people. My people will live with me forever. And heaven crashes into earth. With Job, with Jonah, with us, God doesn't always just reveal the plan, the solution, the answer, the reason. But he is always willing to reveal himself. Or maybe, this is the second one I came up with, maybe the reason we don't get the reason, the explanation, is because we wouldn't understand it anyway. I mean, it might be like like trying to describe colors to a person who's born blind or trying to explain music to a person who is born deaf or trying to explain string theory to my dog. Maybe we are not going to understand it anyway. In the book of Job, God describes for him all of these things that are part of the earth. All of the things that we can experience and the things that we can see and the things that we can touch. And then, and then he, said, he says things like, you know, is it by your wisdom that the hawk flies? Do you know the laws of the heaven? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? You see, we can't even fully understand or grasp our worlds. How in the world are we going to understand the things of God? I mean, sometimes he lets us in and we can get a brief glimpse. But the big plan, the big scheme, every reason why, how are we going to understand God's reality if we don't fully understand our own? A God who, who stands outside of space and of time and, and, and a God that... I mean, I don't, know, I don't necessarily know if he foresees everything that we do or that we're going to do, but I, I think I had this, I'm wrestling with this idea that he sees us living our lives in this eternal present state. Don't get crazy on me, Ben. This eternal present... He's a philosopher, so I know his... He's, I'm going to have a conversation with him in the coffee room. Um, see, past, present, and future, those are... Those are um, constrictions that we have in our lives because we're part of the time that God has created. But God stands outside of that time. And so past, present, and future for God are non-existent. It's just right now for Him. Okay, so if you can fully understand that, you're doing way better than me. But if that simple idea confuses us, and how are we going to understand the grand scheme of God's plan? How will we always, how will we understand the concealed and revealed goodness? How will we understand the process and the reason and then have that make us feel so much better? God doesn't necessarily give the reason. God has proven over and over again that he wants to give himself 
to his people. And so here's the reality. Sometimes, you know, God seems unfair. God seems sometimes even mean or uncaring. Like he's dropped the ball, like he's not even in the game. But that's a perspective from a being that is trapped and bound by all of this human experience that we have here. And God stands on the outside of that and just says, no, my plan is a good plan. Trust me, trust me, trust me. And so if we get caught up on focusing on we want God to do what we want God to do when we want God to do it, and if we get caught up in just focusing our life on trying to avoid hurt and disappointment and frustration, if we get caught up in focusing on we need to know reasons and explanations, then we are in danger of missing the things that God has already done. We're in danger of missing the things that God wants to do and is doing among his people. I cannot answer the why question. Because all too often, God doesn't answer the why question. And in the end, and I know this is hard, and I know this isn't a this isn't the, the, the period at the end, but but this doesn't solve anything maybe in the in the context of okay I, I i get it now but in the end all we have is to trust in the lord and don't lean on your own understanding of things but trust in him with all of your heart with everything And in everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you think and plan and organize and try and live, your whole life, submit it to him. And he makes our paths straight. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that you caused it to be written. I want to thank you for the story of Jonah and that his story is our story and and our story is his story. God, I pray for everyone here in this room that they would begin to, even now, Lord, you're you're just increasing faith, that they would begin to give over those hurts, those angers, those disappointments to you and that you would begin to reveal yourself to them. And they would grow in the relationship with you. And they would find that healing. They would find and they would understand your love and compassion and grace. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.